morning, everybody. Oh, it's exciting. I love worshiping the Lord. I love just spending time in His presence. You can't, you can't actually quantify that. You can't. It's just something we enjoy who He is. We enjoy God. We, we, we love Him. And because we love Him, our worship needs to be extravagant. It can't because it's an expression of how we view Him. It's an expression of His worthiness. And uh, just how we imitate that, even to our children. And as, the, as Chad was just asking the kids to go out, I just realized we're modeling that kind of worship for our kids. They, they need to see it. And you can say a lot of things to your kids, but actually they watch, they know by watching you. And um, you can say you love Jesus, but they, they see through what, what you don't have. And uh, so it's a thing of, just be like Paul says, you know, be imitators of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, you can hide a lot of things from your kids, but you, you can't hide who you are. Uh, I, I watch my boys pick up all my idiosyncrasies, some bad, some good. And uh, that's the reality. And that's why Scripture says, you know, beauty is seen in the children. It's like, uh, sorry, wisdom is seen in the children. And uh, so we need to live our lives authentically uh, for them so they don't have a skewed view of, of God. As they see you, they see Christ. That's how it should be. And um, in fact, I felt to share on this this morning just, um, just something that I even picked up at the men's meeting, but also I know Andrew was sharing on certain things. And, um, and I wanted to just kind of focus on that because, you know, when the apostolics speak, I don't want us to be a church that run independently. You know, when Andrew speaks and he says, guys, it's a serious thing I'm feeling, and he shares it. I think it's good that we as a church take note. You know, we're not a local congregation isolated from them. Uh, and we do believe, Andrew, God has given him a voice. We do believe he has a, 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 an authority that, that God has given him to... For the church, in building the church, and um, and so I recognise that uh, even as a local eldership, we recognise that, and so there is a sense in where there's a unique footprint here in George that we build, but there's also that thing of we under the apostolic, we under what God is doing through Andrew, and we acknowledge that, and we have to build on that. And uh, one of the things Andrew shared is just that before the he. You know, just using the scripture in Thessalonians where it talks about before the, you know, the, the, the persecution of the church, there would be a great falling away. And uh, just to encourage the church to make sure you, you of the faith, to make sure that you know that you're rooted in the Lord. And um, I, I was just encouraged, even this at our men's meeting on Friday, just, just hearing how some of the new guys that have joined us were just saying, you know, a lot of what they've learned now it's become an experiential knowledge. You know, it's guys that are knowledgeable of the Word. They understand Scripture and stuff. But they said since joining Josh Jen, they've realized they're, they're, there's an outworking of this faith. And uh, they've seen just the reality of what it really means when we talk about love. So this is what love looks like. Or, you know, this is what discipling's about. You know, we, we've taught on that, but, but now we're living in it. And so it's kind of an encouragement for us. We, we never want to be arrogant or proud, but there is a sense of, okay, there is something we're doing right. Let's, let's make sure we carry on doing that, you know. And, uh, and there is that sense because you know, I think it was, who was it? I think it was Cole that was just mentioning that during, even for him, during the lockdown, how just how 
he came to that place that, um, you know, because we couldn't go out and your meetings were Zoom meetings, even your worship was about you. You know, you, you put on your favorite worship songs and you listen and you worship with it on the TV and then, and then it's listening to your great, the guy that you like who teaches and you listen, listen to him. But all of that in itself was very um, consumeristic. It's what I get out of it. it, it it's, nothing, it's nothing that tests my faith. It's not a living out my faith. And uh, I was just listening to him and I, th- I thought, you know, that is one of the things that has even come into the life of the church is that consumeristic mentality. And we can be consumeristic about many things. We can be consumeristic even in worship. It's what it does for me, what it's about me. Thank you, Lord. I feel good. And God's given us emotions. He's given us things. But there's that thing of, God, I just want to worship you. And, and you know, just Chaz, Chaz, me pushing through. God, let's give him the highest praise. It's, it's that thing of, God, it's about you. Worship is about you. We need to always make sure that, you know, even as Joshua, he says, you know, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that, that word worship, some of your scriptures will say, me and my household, we worship the Lord. But it's actually the Greek word latrua, which means to serve. But it's a, it's a serving kind of worship. It's not just experiencing God. It's, it's God, I want to serve you. I want to bless you. I want to glorify you. And uh, we can be consumeristic in the, even in the Word of God. And, and this is where I think we've got to be so careful. Um, when I say consumeristic with the Word, is we, we like the Word. We love the Word, and it's good. But the problem is we, we, we can sometimes find that in the Word itself that we can find our identity, that I'm getting filled up. Because, you know, the Word says knowledge puffs up. And so when, they, when we receive the Word of God, it's good that we say, God, like when I read Scripture, I always say, God, what do you want me to see in this? And with, the, with that knowledge of what, me, what you want me to see, what do you want me to do? Because there needs to be an outward working. As you reveal yourself to me, as you reveal certain truths of yourself, I know I've got to respond to that. See, I can say, well, God, that, that's great. That, that really makes me feel better about who you are. But it doesn't change me. There's a difference. And so this word needs to be so gripped in my heart that it needs to be an outworking. And it's for us as a church. And that's why when I read scripture, I also read it through the lens of, okay, God, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to change in us? Because this is not a consumeristic word that's just for us to feel good. In fact, there's such a deception that can happen. James warns us in James 1.22. It says, be doers of the word, not only hearers of the word. Because if you do, you can deceive yourself. There's a deception. And there's a deception in just knowing the word. Can you believe it? There's a deception that comes by just reading the word in itself. You see, the word in itself needs to produce something within you. 1 John 3, 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous is righteous. Romans 2, 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. I'm realizing, oh God, we, we've got to be doers of your word. And it sounds like works to some. Oh, I'm not under works, I'm under grace. <laughs> right? I've heard that line many times. But I've realized, even as Paul addresses Timothy, don't you want to put that scripture on for me, Becky? Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 16. It says, take heed of yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them. Doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I love, as I was reading the scripture, it really, it really, as I see what, what Paul is saying, it's just, some of your scriptures will say, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Take heed of yourself 
and your doctrine. It's almost like some people love teaching. They love studying the doctrine. It's all about the doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. But their lives are in, it's like a parallel road. Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine. And some of us just watching our doctrine, watching in our lives are kind of living independently of what my doctrine is telling me. And we think we're okay because I'm watching my doctrine, but you're not watching your life. And the two have got to join. They're going to be parallel. That's like that. Is my life consistent with my doctrine? Hey? And that's the challenge. And I, I think even in that challenge, it's like I think sometimes we find a satisfaction that because I know something, I actually experientially know it, but you don't. It's a head knowledge. It's a cerebral knowledge that needs to be transformed in your life. It needs to work its way as a conviction. And, uh, and Paul even warns uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 to 7. You got that scripture for me. It says, for this sort of those who creep into the households and make captive gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You know, there's some people that Paul warns that these guys come into your households hey, and they start teaching all these things and it's just like you're forever learning. I've seen that. I've seen that in the life of the church where almost like these illegitimate ministries that pop up and everybody goes to this Bible study and that Bible study. The problem with that, if you're not producing something from that, you are going to grow callous towards the Word of God if you're not responding to that Word. And so we always got to be careful that what we listen to and, and what we participate in is for transformation. You know, that's what we're about. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. I know I've said this lots, but I really feel strongly in the Lord. Go and make disciples, teaching them obedience. It's not just teaching them. It's teaching them obedience. Teach them to obey. God is calling us to live and obey Him. And I don't want to be this church that just kind of talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk, you know. Uh, I'm reminded of that saying that the guys say, you know, these guys, are they so heavenly minded, they're not earthly good. And uh, I don't want to be that kind of church, you know. I don't want to be us to be, uh, not that I agree with that saying, because Jesus was totally heaven minded. He was fixed in the eyes of the Father, and he did what he saw the Father do. And uh, he lived in that, and, and it was outworking in his life. And so I want to be one of those churches that we, we can have our head in the clouds, but we still got to have our feet on the ground, <laughs> They've got to be together. And uh, I want to I share about a, a scripture that just God's been uh, bringing to my heart um, of a church that Paul writes about. And I want to go to 1 Thessalonians 1. I want to read the scripture. It says, now this Paul's, he's really commending this church. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God the Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in words only, but in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance, as you know what kind of men we are among for your sake. Yes. Can I carry on there? Uh, and he became followers of us of the Lord, having received the word, much affliction, with joy, with the Holy Spirit, and that he became an example in all Macedonia and Archaea who believed. Now, I love this scripture because Paul is commending a church, and he's saying, 
that you guys have become the model. You become the example. You become the blueprint of how church should look like. That's, that's what he's saying. He says you become the, the tupas, which in the Greek means you're the, you're the type. That's where you get the word type from. You're the type of church that, that God desires. This is, this is the, the lack of stuff. This is the right stuff in you. And uh, the funny thing is, this is a newly formed church. This is not a church that's, that's been down the road for a long time. This is a new church. In fact, Paul had only been there for a few weeks. So this church hadn't even had that much apostolic input. So you think, well, how did they get it right? What was, what was so unique about this church? And I, I, I just love the way Paul presents this because it's, he starts by saying, look, when the gospel came to you, it didn't come in just words. What does it say? Let me go back to this. It says, I think it's verse 5, because the gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep convictions. So when you receive the word, man, you guys realize, flip, this is, I've got to die. I've got to change. I've got to let God come and be glorified in me. And there's something of just letting go, and the gospel comes with a conviction. And that conviction comes through the Holy Spirit. He says, when the gospel came to you, it didn't just come with words. It became a conviction. It became something real to you. And I know we often try to look at Acts 2.42 as the model, but, you know, as I've been reading Scripture, Acts 2.42 is good in the sense that it's a model of the fruit, but it's not good in the sense that it's a model of the root. Okay? I want us to look at that because, you know, we all know Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, so all those things, those things are important, but they're the fruit of a church that is in God. Okay, so I want to look at the root that Paul's looking at this morning. And, and, and yes, the fruit will be those things. But I think if we focus from those things, we're focusing on the works rather than what produces those works. And so how does the gospel, how does the gospel come to us, church? How do we look at it? And, and he compares them to Macedonia. He's, in other words, he, he, he's comparing them to the whole northern province of Greece. And he uses church like um, Philippi and Berea. Now, Berea was known to be a church that were of the Word. I mean, they studied the Word. When, when, when guys said certain things, they'd go read up on it and check it with Scripture and see if it lines up. So they were very in the Word. And Paul even compares them to these guys. And Philippi. And then the, the Archaea, which is the southern parts. And that's like Athens and the Corinthian church, and he compares them to, to that. And uh, there's three points that Paul really highlights that I want to focus on this morning. And he doesn't just pick these three thoughts out of a hat and think, well, these three things are probably important. No, it's seriously in Paul's sights as he looks at this. And, and I, as I was reading it, I thought, sure, God, I want this to be on our radar as a church. If we want to be the model church, if we want to look like Jesus, when he comes back and says, wow, that's the church that I love. That's the church I came back for. If I want to be like that church. I want to look at the same thing Paul's is addressing this church and say, this is what makes you guys flow well in the Spirit. This is what makes you genuine. This is what makes you real and authentic as a church. This is what I'm looking for. And, uh, and so I want us to set our eyes on this. I want it to be so, I don't know, it's like the depth of this I want us to care. It's almost like it must be a, not so something you diarize, it must actually be the, what do they call that, the watermark in your diary, because every page must have this. <laughs> it must be almost like 
And I start taking off your fridge magnets, you know, those prosperity Jabez prayers that we have. Take those things off. We're prosperous enough. We've got everything, you know. Our fridges are full. Our bellies are looking overweight, you know. Let's, let's start focusing on, on what's really important in the Spirit. How much more do you want to be blessed by Jabez? Come now. <laughs> we really, we are prosperous. And so I want to look at these three points. And I love the way Paul presents it because he doesn't say faith, hope, and love, and he leaves it as a pie in the sky. And then, okay, well, let's figure out what is faith, what is hope. Because, I mean, who's, who can see faith? Who can see love? Who can see hope? You can see the outworking of it, but you can't see it. You can't see my faith. And so Paul grounds this thing. And I love the way he grounds it because he, he really puts it out there for us to see. In fact, the very thing he's encouraging the church in Thessalonica for, he actually rebukes the church in Corinth for not having. And uh, he says to them, you know, I'm talking about the Corinthian church. He says to them, you know, you guys need to stop putting away childish things. You need to stop drinking the milk. You need to stop putting away your toys and stop being immature and grow up. And this is how you grow up because at the moment you focus on your gifts, your ministries, your callings, all of those things. And then verse 13, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, and these three things. He said, those things are going to fade away. Your ministries, your gifts, your talents, those things are going to fade. But the one thing that's going to remain is these three things, faith, hope, and love. And these are the things that God is encouraging us here in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica, it says, your work is produced by faith, your labor is prompted by love, and your endurance is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to focus on those three points quickly. And I think just from that place, it's almost like there's got to be a response to that. Your work produced by faith. Now that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Come on, Paul, what do you mean your work produced? Are we not saved by faith alone? Is God's grace not sufficient? Isn't it about faith and faith alone in Him? Yes, it is. But now Paul's saying, but your faith that saved you is now producing a work within you. So it wasn't your work. It was God's grace alone. And the same grace that saved you is now working in you. Do you, do you get what he's saying? So I'm not saved by works, but I am saved unto good works that God has prepared for me in advance that I should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? So now God's got something. And Paul's saying, look, don't just leave your faith up there as a pie in the sky. Let's ground it. Let's make it a reality. Because a lot of people were doing that. Well, I've got faith. In fact, this is what James says here, James 2.14. It says, what is a prophet of my brethren if someone says verbally, that he has faith, but does not have works. And then he says, can faith save him? In other words, that faith that you have, that you're claiming you have, if it doesn't have works, is that actually saving faith? Because you're not using the faith that saved you to do the works. So the works are the fruit of whether you are saved. Oh, some people don't like that, but that's a reality. He's saying You'll know whether you say it because the fruit that's working within you is fruit of the Spirit. I'm, I'm, I, I'm encouraging you this morning. I'm not rebuking you. I'm just, I, I just want to make sure that we, we've positioned ourselves in the faith. 
you know, this is important. Where I position myself in the faith is important. And, that's, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because Andrew was challenging the guys, saying, check, guys, check, check where you are. How's your faith? Because there's going to be a great falling away. Why? Because people have abandoned the faith. Great falling away doesn't just happen. It's, and I want us to understand this. It, it, it's, it's, our faith is connected to our hearts. Yes, our doctrine is important. Yes, theology is important. But let me tell you, your heart moves first before your doctrine. My, my heart leads sometimes. That's why I've got to let the doctrine lead my heart, not the other way around. Sometimes I feel, oh, I don't like this church anymore. People offend me and I'm hurt and I'm going to go and do my thing. And first there's a heart change, there's a heart transference, and then I will fit my theology to fit why I'm doing it. And I'll justify it. And I'll even use Scripture. And so this is why it's deceptive. And we've got to be careful that we, that we position ourselves in the faith, but it's grounded in the Word of God. It's grounded in who He is. It's grounded in His character and all of those things. And you together, collectively, we keep each other. You know, we are there to keep each other in the faith. You're there to spur me, and I'm here to spur you. But just check, Benny, are you in the faith? And I know a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't question whether you're in the faith because that's not faith. No, that's just stupid. I'm serious. There's a scripture that says in 2 Corinthians 13 verses 5, it says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. So you do need to check yourself. It's not a, I don't, this is the thing. I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in God. The position of my faith is that it's in Him. Not in me, not in things. It's in Him. So we are a people of faith. How do we test our faith? How do we know whether this is faith? Well, God, God sends a test, doesn't he? A challenge, a trial, things that we have to face. How many have been tested here? Come on, who gets tested? Constantly, yeah. What happens in the test? Your faith gets challenged. Are you, is that genuine? Is that faith real? God knows your faith. He puts the test there that you know whether you're in the faith. God knows our hearts. And so every test, the Bible, you know, the Bible says that, every test, is, it's God-given. It's not, you know, sometimes we love to blame the enemy. We love to say it's Satan. Let me, God uses Satan. He's, he's a puppet. And we can't say, well, this is Satan and this is God. Yeah, God won't tempt you, but he will bring trials. God will not, because the Bible says God won't tempt, because to have, a, have an ability to tempt someone means you have to have a knowledge of sin. And God doesn't have a knowledge of sin, and he doesn't, but he can, he can allow Satan to tempt you. And in that, you can either run from it, or you can face it. Now, a trial is something you, you run into, you fight it, you, you endure. A temptation is something you run from, right? We don't go, oh, I'm in this situation with this lovely lady. I'm just going to try and endure it in the pre. No, I'm going to try and do what Joseph did, and he ran. He didn't try and endure this temptation in that moment. You know, we, we've got to, and what, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? Sometimes there's a very fine line, but God showed me one day, he says, oh, a temptation is something you enjoy now, but you'll, that you enjoy now, but you'll pay for it later. Where a trial is something that you endure now, and your reward is later. 
And so we've got, to, we've got to prepare ourselves. Look, guys, when we're running, go through the trial. Go through the challenge because there's a reward. There's a great reward waiting for us. And as we go through it, man, it's going to be far outweigh that little temptation that was there. It was for a bleating moment and a little bit of pleasure. But let me tell you, it leaves a bitterness for the rest of your life. And God has called us to face trials. And we need to have faith in that, church. And that's why in James 1, before I go there, just as we talk about trials and temptations, I often think, you know, sometimes we look at trials and temptation as just to get a result of something that we've hoped for. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. But we also forget that faith is also God working out our character. He's forging who we are in those moments. And this is what we've got to realize is that our faith is something that God is so meticulously involved in. It's not so much the result. It's not so much if I have faith, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. As important as that may be, God's more interested in the process of you molding your character to get there. God wants you to become more like Jesus. And that's why James 1, 2, this is, uh, sorry, James, but I'll give you that one. Yeah, great. 1 verses 2 to 4. It says, My brethren, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants us to lack nothing. That's the reason He does it. Sometimes we look at God and say, Why do I have to go through this? Well, because God doesn't want you to lack. Think of it. The result is what God's interested in. But you've got to face it in faith. Two Peter, one verses one. It, I didn't give this to you, but but I, I, as I read this, you know, it says, uh, two Peter one verses one. It says God considers our faith precious. Peter talks about that the preciousness of your faith. That is so precious to the Lord, and it's so precious. Verse 5 tells us in 1 Peter is that we need to give all diligence to it. You've got to pay attention to that faith. You've got to make sure it's nurtured, that it grows, that it's, that it's protected. That is what God's interested. And I felt even this morning, just to not only encourage you in the faith, but I'm feeling for some of us that some of us have grown cold in the faith. We've lost sight of what God's called us to. That today is the day that God brings restoration. He gives focus back to you. He gives you of what you call to in Him. That we come back to that place. You know, there's many people that have left. I remember at Paul's side, how he says, this person deserted me. This person left me. And many guys that Paul had with him that actually fell away. He says, this guy's abandoned me. He's left the faith. And we've we got to be careful, church, that we're not one of them it needs to be a work that's produced by faith. And, you know, this is what, this is what it's important. You see, as, I, as Paul was talking about this faith, this work of faith, he goes into another level. And I love the way he does this. He, he goes, so you have to, the work produced by faith. And then he says, a labor prompted by love. Now, notice how this intensity starts to pick up. The one is a work the other one is a labor. And what's the difference? Well, as I was reading it up, just, just on this, the, the word labor here, is, it's, like a, it's like a toiling. It's like 
Well, you know, so when you and I do a work, sometimes we'll go and do something and we'll come back and do whatever we're doing, right? Like yesterday, we went to Trevor's house, we did a work. We carried some boxes from his old house to his new house. That was a work. I took a few hours of my time. That was a work. That, in a sense, was an inconvenience maybe of a few hours of my day, but, you know, I carried on. But now Paul's saying, listen, this thing of a work of faith is something, but now I want you to understand there's a labor involved in love. This is not just a momentary toil, a momentary work. This is a constant toil. Almost like the the word that's used here, it's like a farmer who's toiling his land. So this labor of love, this commitment I have to this land, it's not just, oh, I do it now, and when I feel like it, I'll go back to it. No, this, this is my life. This is what I'm called to. This is what I'm, I'm preparing my body to be under the strains of what's going to happen in this, that the intensity of work that's involved in this. And so Paul brings it up a notch. He says, look, you had a work of faith, but now there's something even greater. You've got to have a, a labor of love. There's something more to this. You know, building relationship, there's a labor of love. You can, you know, it's, it's more intense, isn't it? Am I the only one who feels like that? You know, there's people, there's people that, I've got to be honest, been in, I've been in eldership for a while. You can quickly pick up when there's really a lot of labor coming your way. You know, someone joins the church and you, you love them, and you, and you know you're going to be committed to that person. You're going to be committed with all their weaknesses. You're going to be committed with their, their blemish, all the things that are holding them back, their weights. And when you see that thing, oh, okay, God, I'm going to prepare myself because this person needs a lot of work. And there's an intensity of labor that I know is waiting for me. And I'll embrace them because Jesus embraced them. I'll love them because Jesus loved them. He died for them. And I pick up that understanding of labor, but I also pick up the understanding of the love that can produce that labor. And when I see that person walking, I think, God, show me your love for that person. Because I can't. God, this is a lot of work. This is not just a work. This is a labor. This is an intense toiling. And, and this is not only for eldership. We all call to live that kind of life, to live that kind of labor. I'm not going to focus too much on love this morning. I shared it last week. But I do want us to understand the intensity of love, of what it means to love. And I shared last week in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 6, I shared that scripture, and I'll share it a little bit again, because I really feel, I said, I'll work Becky. Don't stress. I'll, I'll go back to my, so it says, you can tell me when it's back on, but it says, yeah, suffering long. Love is suffering, sorry. <laughs> Love, is, love suffers long, it's kind, it's not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's a lot of labor involved, isn't there? <laughs> That's what the scriptures say. There's labor involved in this kind of love. That's why it says it's, it's a labor of love. <clears throat> it's a labor prompted by love. And I just felt as, as, as we run this race, as we, we take this faith, it's like God wants to move us to another level of church. 
you've had the work of faith, but now there's a labor of love. And then he brings us to another point, the endurance inspired by hope. You see, when you know there's a labor, I don't know, I'm not a runner. I'm not a, I'm not a Chad. I'm not a, a Vachis. I'm not a Quinton. These guys, I'm sure when they know there's a work ahead, it's almost like a preparing yourself. When you've got a heavy race, there's a preparedness of that. There's like a training that you know that this is something that's for long haul. I've got to do this. It's a, it's a long race. Hey, Orchid? <laughs> there, there is something very intense in that moment. And so you, you train your body for that endurance. Now, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, one of the things, as you endure yourself, as you prepare yourself for this race, this run, you've got to take off things that, that are going to hinder you, right? That's what Paul's saying. Take off every weight and sin. So it's not only sin issues, but if I know that I'm going to labor as Sean and there's something I'm, I'm going to have to build into him, there might be certain things in me that I've got to lay off. Maybe it's my time running up the mountain every day to spend time with Sean, is it because that thing's become a weight, or whatever it may be. But there's, there's that moment where I've got to cast certain things off, and, and like I said, it's not sin issues, it's things of, this is the labor of love, I've got to put this thing off, because the church is not, this is what we've got to realize, church is not, um, it's not an add-on to my life, it is my life. That's why many people battle, it's almost like discipling is an add-on to my life. Discipling people is an add-on to my life. It's not. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is the great command. This is your life. It's almost like we've got to get, get past that thing. It's like it's always my life and, and the church and God. Like, no, it's just God. And then from there, God, what has God told you to do? What has he commanded you? I hope you guys are still with me. And so we've got to... And so we've got to clothe ourselves with things that are light, that are not going to be burdensome, that are not heavy. And so I want to ask you, what are you guys wearing when it comes to this, this endurance that we, we have and the hope? Because Paul says here, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him endured such hostility for sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. God doesn't want us to become weary, church. But there's a preparedness that we have to have for the long haul. This is not a quick sprint. You know, when I, when I was at school, I used to run, I know a lot of you know the story, but I used to run the 100 meters and the 200, but I couldn't run the 800 meters. I used to, I remember one day running, Someone asking me, listen, Benny, don't we, we've got some guys missing for the 800. Don't you want to fill in for me? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, it's, those guys run slow anyway. I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, because you, 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 you're so used to your pace of running, but you're not always <laughs> aware of the distance. And I remember having that moment where I started running this race and, and, and I was just filling in the gaps because the school needed me. And I'm running and I'm running. And, you know, I'm so used to, just being first in the 100 meters and the 200. And I remember thinking, oh, 
these guys are slow. Man, I should have been doing this a long time ago. So I really look good, you know. But then I went down the track the first, because first, it was 800 meters. So it was around the track the first time. And that was 400 meters. Am I right? Yeah. And then when I hit the second time, all of a sudden, I just like, Ugh. it's like, it's what they call hitting the wall. Am I right? And, and almost everybody, everybody actually overtook me. I came stone last. It was like I was, I was running in slow motion, you know. And I'm thinking, this is not right. This is not how it should be. And, you know, I just realized I wasn't prepared for the race. You see, the difference was for me, and I know it's school level, you can be talented, you can be gifted, and you can do the 100 meters and the 200 meters. But, you know, when it comes to the 800 meters and the 1,000 meters, you've got to train yourself. There's a training. Your, your gifts, your talents, talents don't cut it. And I was a lazy kid. I didn't like doing any exercise and running, and especially long distance wasn't my thing. But I realized that I couldn't cut it here in this race. And that's why God has called us the long haul. And it's not the 100 meters. It's not the 200 meters. It's the long distance that he's called us to. And as Andrew was sharing that thing of, there's going to be a great falling away. There's a sense of because it's the long distance, some of us are hitting that wall. We're hitting moments you think, God, oh, no, I can't. No, pace yourself in the spirit. You don't have to do, you don't have to run, do everything all the time. See how what the spirit is saying. We need to move in line with what the spirit is doing, church. We can't run because that's what the problem with the Galatians. They were running in the spirit. They started in the spirit but they started running in the flesh. And then Paul said, who bewitched you? Who, what, what changed? Why did you hit that wall kind of thing? And I felt in the spirit this morning, I woke up at about 4.30 just thinking about this. But I, I feel even some of us, some of us have hit that wall. I don't know. I wasn't a runner, but I know for you guys that are runners, I know when you run, you have certain markers in your race. There's certain times that you have that you know if I, if I hit so many meters or kilometers, I've got to be at this time. When I, I hit that moment, I've got to be at this time. Am I right? <laughs> you guys that run, you have markers that you put in yourself. And I really just felt that some of us spiritually have had markers. And uh, you put markers in this race. You put these things in place that if, if God, if, I, if I've reached this moment and this time, I should be doing. But actually, I'm not, I'm not there. And there's been a disappointment. There's been a hurt. There's been a, an aching because you felt like you've missed it. Well, you're not reaching that mark. And I feel God wanting to pull us back to himself. I felt that, that scripture, because we're talking about hope now. We're talking about what hope is. <clears throat> and it's, it's a, a, what's it, perseverance that God is giving us, but it's in hope. And uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I, I just, I just in my spirit, I've really been feeling like that. I feel, I feel there's some people here that have had a hope deferred. You've had certain markers in your race, certain expectation. God, and I, I felt specifically for people, and I don't want to bring it up, but I do want to pray for them at some point. Um, 
but people that have had markers. God, by this time in my life, I should have been like this. By this moment in my life, I should have been a good father. I should have been a prosperous dad. I should have been an amazing husband. And I should have had so much on my plate, but I haven't. And I want to challenge you today. It's a loving challenge. I felt there's a, there's a weight that the enemy has put on you that's not godly. It's a weight that's condemning. God wants to remove that weight this morning. There's an expectation that you have placed on yourself that God's saying, I haven't placed that on you. I want you to take up what I've given you. And you know, as I was reading the scripture, you know, Jesus says, I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. And some of you felt that you've come to the finish line. And Jesus says, no, you haven't come to the finish line. I'm the finish line. You don't decide when you're finished. I do. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. And I felt just for that, just to, to be encouraged, you guys, don't, because I feel in those markers that you haven't reached, that there's been a disappointment, and as you're running, you've slowed down. You've, you've stopped running to the pace that God's called you to, because you feel, God, I'll never get there. I'll never catch up to that moment that you've called me to, and I'm, I'm just not reaching that. And I just want to encourage you guys, God is amazing. He's, he's a miracle maker. You pace yourself to the world. You pace yourself to things. You compare, compare yourself to people. And I felt the Lord saying, don't put that on yourself. That is not what I've given you. And uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this. This is Jesus talking. It says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I just felt that, that it sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? We've got a work of faith. We've got a labor of love. We've got an endurance. It's inspired by hope. But in all of that, it's like Jesus saying, but, but I've given you my yoke to do it. It's my yoke. It's not something you're going to run. It's not something you're going to do in the flesh. It's something I give you. And when you do it in me, it's going to be something that's light. When you do it in me, you're going to run in the spirit. And that's the difference, churches. When you can run in the flesh, you know when you're running in the flesh is that you have to carry the burden. But when you run in the faith, it's like, the, you know, you run with the, with the knowledge that that burden is actually light because I have faith for it. This is what God has given me. And I felt this morning God wanting to give us his yoke, his burden. And it's not the enemies. The enemies lied to you and said, this is the burden you must take. This is where you should have been. And that thing of comparison has gripped your heart. And I want to say this morning, if that is you, I want you to even respond to the Lord this, this morning. Respond to that. Because if you run like that, you're going to tie yourself out. You're going to burn yourself out because it's not in Christ. It's in you. It's in the world. It's in the expectations of the enemy. And God is calling us to something far greater. And so, as we have a hope that's disappointed because we haven't met that, I had this scripture in mind in Hebrews 6.19. It says this. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. <clears throat> Thank you.
And then it says, where, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, the reason our, our hope doesn't have to be shaken is because it's not in our things. It's not in what we do. It's in Christ. It's in Him. And as we put that hope in Him, it's behind the veil. It's in the presence of the Lord. It's where He is. Sometimes I think we place the hope on if I do this, this is the hope, the result of that hope. No, actually my hope is in Christ. It's behind the veil. It's beyond, it's beyond just the here and now. And uh, I, I really felt almost like going back to the race. There's that thing, and I want to finish off like this. As we run this race, and it's an enduring race, there's something preparedness that we've got to have in our hearts. I almost felt like even for our heads, you know, that I, I was reading up a, a, a thing on running, and they were just saying how your average head weighs three kgs to four and a half kgs. And the reason they were talking about this was because they're saying your posture and your ability to run, if you're running with your head at a certain level and you're running, it says it puts strain on the rest of your body. And so the runners, what they should be doing is setting their, their eyes on the horizon as they run. Because when they do, it's like they, they're preparing themselves for for that long haul, you know, it's that, that endurance, the ability to be more durable is the ability to keep your eyes and your sights on the horizon. And I just thought about that, you know, as, as we begin to run this race, there is that thing of, as we run, let's not look at the immediates that come our way. Let's not look at things happening around us, because when you set your head like that, you put your body under the strain of that. It's like God saying, lift your head, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so this morning, can I, maybe just in closing, I don't know if you, do you want to add anything, Chad? <clears throat> Bob? John? You're right. And I felt this morning, I don't want to presume everybody here has actually started running the race, that have received Jesus, been the author. In other words, he, he's the one that sets you on this race. He's the one that, that gets you going. You know, it's in that place of, because basically, he's the one that brings us to salvation. He's the one that, that brings us, that we come to the place that, God, I've been living for myself. I've been running my own race. I've been doing my own thing. But you know, your race doesn't go anywhere. You know, your race doesn't have a finish line. Well, it does, but it doesn't end well with you. We've got to find Jesus. He's not the only one who starts us on the race. He doesn't just get the starting blocks ready for us and prepare us and say, go but he's also the one that's waiting for us in the finish line. And maybe you've never received Jesus. Maybe you've never taken up what he says. You've taken up my cross, which is, is the things that he gives us. You know, the Bible says that we are his workmanship created for him, for good works, that we should walk in it. You know, there's good works that Jesus has prepared for us. That as we receive him, as we receive him as the Lord and Savior, it's God, it's no longer I who live, but it's you that wants to live in me. And so everything of my life needs to be towards you. I need to set my posture, my, my head, everything on you, Jesus, because you have become the goal. You have become the destination to which I run. And maybe you've never done that. I want us to just close our eyes just for a moment. If you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to create a moment for you. Today is the day that you can run the race with the author and the finisher of your faith. Come, Lord. Lord, I want to pray just in this moment, Jesus, maybe there's people here that have never met you, that don't know you, 
And Father, you're calling them. You're calling them to yourself. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Father, maybe they've been living for themselves. Maybe they've been running a race of just doing their own things. But Jesus, when we come to you, you give us a destination. You give us purpose. You give us life. So Lord, I want to pray, if there's anybody here this morning, Lord, why don't you just come and speak to their hearts. Lord, that you would convict them, that you would just move them, Lord, to to realizing that they can't do this in their own strength. That they are headed for, the Bible says hell, really. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life. And Lord, you've given us the free gift of Jesus. I pray that that gift would be known this morning to everybody in this room. Won't you come and do that, Jesus? If there's anybody here while the eyes are closed, is there anybody here that has never met Jesus? Would you put up your hand and I want to pray for you. Anybody here? I'll leave it a minute. And then for the rest of us, I want to challenge you. Maybe you feel stirred in your heart. Just this work of faith. This labor prompted by love. And this endurance, which is inspired by hope. Maybe you've lost one of those things, all three. I want to encourage you this morning even to respond to the Lord. and Come to Him this morning. just pray for you because I, I, I believe that I really had this on my heart is that this thing of endurance which is inspired by hope I feel some of us have lost that hope specifically endurance specifically hope I don't know why but I feel strongly on hope you've had a hope that's deferred you've had a hope that's on things you've had a hope on this and that and you felt God you haven't met my expectations I've done everything you've called me to. I've, I've worked, I've done this, and I've done that. But God, you haven't rewarded. You haven't given me that, that thing of, of just that knowledge that you are affirming who I am and where I am. And Father, I want to pray now, won't you come and just stir the hearts, Lord, and, and that those deferred hopes would find themselves behind the veil, steadfast steadfast in you this morning, Lord Jesus, where there's been disappointments because of man or or comparisons of things, Lord, I pray that you would take those hearts back behind the veil where you are, Jesus. If that's you, I want to just challenge you, maybe just to come this morning, come to him, come into his presence. And I feel there's that declaration as you come forward, it's almost like that sense of, God, I want to enter behind the veil this morning. Won't you respond to him?